The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Kev is quickly realising that this radio malarkey, or podcast malarkey, takes up more time than you otherwise thought. <laughs> half past five this morning, Kev, wasn't it, your world? Yeah, half to, past five. To, I, uh, I, I now know what it's like to be you. Well, <laughs> there's no photography. There's no time for photography. Can't You can't pay your bills. You've just got to do radio, Kev. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's it's consuming. What what do we mean by this? We should probably explain. If <laughs> if you have been on a, a different planet or not been listening to the podcast, which is very you know uh, plausible over the last couple of weeks, Kev started a radio show, um, okay. a, and it's a it's an internet radio st- show. It's, it's a it's a country music radio show. And last week he made uh, what what I would uh, Kev, you should have talked to me about this. <laughs> he, he made the he made the fateful mistake of doing what? Well, I uh, basically like I, I've run out of all of my favourite songs which I knew I would. I played them all too soon. And so I <laughs> I said, right, it's your turn. Send yeah. me your requests. Yeah. And uh, and they did, in fairness. Yeah. Like, uh, all six listeners sent me a couple of songs each. <laughs> and um, apart from, well, honestly, uh, my mum sent me some terrible choices. Um, Anna McCarthy sent me some nice ones. I've got, I, I've got, so I've got stuff in the show from Steve Vaughan, Anna McCarthy, Denver, right. Aubrey, yeah. Murray McMillan. Yeah. Um, Rob Ward, Layla, Josephine, uh, all, all kinds of people are going to be in there, but <laughs> I'm not. T- I'm going to put a disclaimer out at the beginning. <laughs> These are not my choices. <laughs> Did your mum choose good ones? You can't. You see, you can't not play your mum's ones. No, my mum, bless her. My mum picked uh, Cotton Eye Joe. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's not going to be in it. And then she picked another one that that's uh, well, is, would I'd rather murder kittens. <laughs> Um, okay. what <laughs> Carl song? Hare, Carl what? Hare picked a nine-minute song. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Not going to make the cut either. I'm afraid, Carl. Yeah. Uh, are, are you, yeah. Is it? Is it an all-request show for for this particular one? It, Today is. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It's all requests. Oh, Kev. It's all, all right. requests. Yeah. And yeah. I need to do it properly this time because I keep getting my timings completely wrong. <laughs> oh. It's very hard work. I don't know how you used to do it. What you need to do is have what's called an emergency song. The emergency song is always one that's... Now, what was it? It was 2 minutes 11. There she goes. I'm sure it was There She Goes by the Lars. Mm, uh, it's not very country, that, though, is it? No, it's not country, I know, but you need to find your country versions of it. Uh, Delamitri <laughs> rolled to me. Uh, the Lars, There She Goes. Oh, I think there was one by the band Dodgy that was quite short as well. They are your emergency song. So when you know that you've overrun it and you, ju- and you just need a song that's 1 minute 58 seconds... You go for your emergency it's, song. It's, it's not overrunning it. It's underrunning it. Oh, it's my un- problem is oh, I, keep, well. <laughs> I like to end with two. I do a little, um, I call it the festival section at the end where it's two live tracks yeah. that kind of blend into one. <laughs> Last week I was ready to play it and it, it, it lasted six minutes, four seconds. Oh, and I had 14 minutes to go. <laughs> when yeah, just I, stick in a couple of bangers i always remember john pill ending a, a show i remember listening to him him ending woefully early and not and, and having some sort of disaster with the turntable and he just sat there and just tapped his fingers for about two minutes the fuji cast and i thought well that's authentic he got my vote that day it's going well though your show isn't it kev yeah, I think. i'm loving it yeah i'm loving it yeah it does take a little bit longer to prepare than you thought i think yeah, well, the prep is all right. It, the listening to the music is what takes time. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, welcome to the podcast. You and we have a bit of an announcement this week, actually, with regard to the podcast for next week. You and your questions today from our electronic mailbag, and of course, uh, also through the Fujicast private Facebook group. 
that you are welcome to become a member of. Uh, if you'd like to send your questions, you can do it through that or indeed through the um, through the email, old-fashioned styly. Click at fujicast.co.uk. If you are not a Fuji film shooter, do not worry. It's a big community, and whatever flavour you shoot, you're very, very welcome. Do we have some bump to the fronts this this week, Kev? We got some, or, or are you going to be doing that next week? Mm, you deal with those. And so, <laughs> no, I, I mean the mention of the patrons is what I mentioned. Oh yeah, actually. I've got some bump to the front. Yeah, we've got a couple of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, and today we are. Well, what's the book of the week? First of all, before I announce who's who's with oh, us. So the guess. book of the week is the is the package that turned up a couple of weeks ah, ago when uh, the when um, Harry the postman turned up at the door and he said there was a parcel missing. It did show in the end because uh, initially you thought you lost it, didn't you? Somebody walked off with it or something. Yeah. Turns out it was at the butcher's, but. Yes, so the book of the week is, um, it's simply called Belgian. The book by, was at the at the butchers? The book was at the butchers, yeah. I'll explain it when we get to it, but right. it's by Stefan uh, van Flieteren. Oh, good. Belgium, yeah. Fantastic. Um, and Alex Frederiksen, uh, you spoke to during the week, is, uh, is our guest. Um, our, our, you know, one of our friends of the show guests. Mm-hmm. So, um, oh, next week, by the way. Uh, talk, talking to radio shows and solo and do it. Kev's going solo next week. Dun dun dun. Yep. So, You're solo in break. Solo flight. Yeah, I've I've um, I've got I've got next week off the Fuji cast. That is, I've got next week off the Fuji cast, and Kev is on. Are we allowed to say he's presenting it with you? No, 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 because it might just be me. All right, it's either going to be me, me and Monty, me and Breezy, or <laughs> me and somebody else. Okay, I think Monty would be great. <laughs> oh, you'd be able to smell him over the airwaves. Uh, it's, uh, yes, no, we're not smellivision, smell adios, smell a cast or whatever. Right, um, questions. Are you going first or me? Let's do the patrons first. Okay, patrons we've first. We've got a couple of them. Right. Yeah. Okay, so uh, thank you uh, very much for supporting us on Patreon. These are the latest people. Uh, we've got Ronan Palliser from uh, Ireland, mm-hmm. Kant Rathood, Joshua Rothman, Eric Joseph and Ivan Kreeth. Thank you so much, uh, Guys, yeah, they're all guys, I think. Yeah, Perfect. so I can say that without getting in trouble. Well done. Thank you so much. Every penny counts. Ding, ding. <laughs> I think somebody's already got that uh, phrase, Kevin. I'm not, I'm not sure he can use that one. Oh. Uh. Um, Mike Miller sent in a message, but it was more a comment, and I'm sure you've seen this. Um, as uh, Mike, Mike is very much uh, uh, our underlining friend. I'll tell you what, he, should be, he would be the researcher because he gets everything spot on. As clarification to a statement made at 25 minutes and 30 seconds into, uh, this will be last week's podcast, uh, we were talking about rules for photography, weren't we? And I, I think Canada was mentioned, wasn't it, as having... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Rules for photography can vary from province to province. In, in Canada, in Ontario, the the, uh, the rules governing photographers is nicely summed up. He sent a PDF document that we'll, um, I hope I'll remember to give you the link for to put in the show notes. It was all to do with privacy, wasn't it? And being able to photograph people in the street. The, mm-hmm. law, the laws have to do with reasonable expectation of privacy. Photographing outdoors is okay because nobody can expect to have a reasonable expectation of privacy. And do you know what, Kev? I hope that is going to be the way that this is dealt with around the world because that seems a a very sensible way in which to deal with street photography, doesn't it? Yeah, I think that's pretty normal for quite a lot of places. Yeah. That's what it is in the UK as well. If you're if you're in the public place, then you know, all, all, all systems go kind of thing. Yeah. He says, photographing indoors is a different manner, uh, matter. The mm-hmm. right to publish photographs is protected under the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedom, Section 2B. So as you say, it's probably a very similar thing. I've never read it in this country and other countries. Uh, but there's, um, there's a push on over on YouTube, uh, not having anybody who can be recognised showing up in somebody's film. 
but it's still in the infancy stage. Now, I did see this. We both saw this because we had a little grumble at it, didn't we? And it, yeah. it does look, reading it as it as it is in black and white, it looks like you can't have a film of somebody unless they've given you express permission that they can appear in it. Or am I wrong? Well, I think that's what's that's the direction they're going. Yeah, so um, it seems that way. That's That's my understanding as well. So uh, we may be we may be off the mark. I don't know, but certainly that's what it said in the in the YouTube email that I got. So yeah, I don't know how that's going to pan out in terms of. Well, I mean, imagine just wedding videographers use YouTube to promote their their films. What are you going to do? Ask every single person. It's no. street photography will just disappear off YouTube. Oh, I don't know. It's, it's the world's gone absolute crazy. It's just insane. It Stupid. Does, it does seem a very much a covering your your backside dictate that, doesn't it? Really, if, if that if that's the way it's going to go. I, I mean, if you look at stuff, just one of our favourite YouTubers, um, Peter McKinnon. I mean, a lot of his films have people in the background. I suppose now they just—it'll just be him. At, quite often, it is him at his desk in Canada. Maybe that's why. Maybe, maybe he saw this coming, Kev. Yeah. Well, and and also, you know, the the the, the thing with it all is that you, you know you just said it does seem like a catch-all situation. But you, Google, are very have uh, got history with that. So the whole uh, made for kids or not made for kids toggle on the YouTube videos that oh, came yeah. out. Yeah. I don't know, about eighteen months ago, I suppose. That's a that covers all bases. So basically Basically, you have to say, you know, the kids may watch this or they may not watch it. I noticed that some on some of my videos, which are photo films of my own kids, YouTube have switched the comments off. Right. They've switched comments off by themselves. Yeah. They didn't even tell me. They just switched them off. And right. when I looked at, I was, I looked and thought, hang on, there's no no comments on here. There were comments. Dug a bit deeper, and YouTube said, yeah, we switched this off because there's children in the video. Blimey! I'm like, yeah, they're my kids. They're your kids, and you, yeah, <laughs> you gave permission. So, are they going to just? You know how 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 can they possibly legislate it? How can they uh, you know how can they control that? Uh, you know they, every single time a video goes online uh, and they identify that there's people in the video, are they then are you then going to have to fill a form in with all the names of everybody in there? And you know it's just I don't know they're shooting themselves in the foot. I think is it, for that. Su- is it sucking the fun out of YouTube for you? Um, the fun was sucked out of YouTube when that bloke had to go at my eyes and my eyebrows and my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a bit personal yeah that's true um yeah or yeah i suppose a little bit i mean i, I haven't put anything on youtube for a while I've just noticed, be, yeah. basically because i haven't had anything to put on there right. and i you know i'm looking at my little youtube area over there looking all lonely in the corner of the room <laughs> and I, i'm not i don't have any kind of ambition to sit there again and and, and you know make a film because it's just tough you don't I guess, I guess youtube's going to become a bit more like uh in in some respects it's it's gonna it's gonna need to become a, a bit more like solo presentations to camera isn't it it's gonna be like going to a board meeting kev on zoom oh yeah i mean if it, 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 it seems very weird that google are doing this because you know vimeo won't do it i'm sure of it and you know they're they're, they're in the same jurisdiction so i don't know i i i feel like you know, Google are the number one target by the uh, the lawyers around the world, aren't yeah. they? You know, they get you know Google, Apple, Microsoft, all the big wigs. Uh, you know, they get all the anti-privacy people on their backs all of the time. And actually, generally, you know what? They're all good companies. They're all trying to make a, the best yeah. out of things. They're yeah. not going to purposely do you know enable stuff that can make things difficult for people. But other people, you know, especially anti-privacy stuff, try and make it difficult for them, and then we all suffer. Tricky uh, one, this. Um, yeah. Thank you, Mike, for your clarification over those points. Right. 
questions, Kev. Okay, so I've got a question uh, from Neil Parry, mm -hmm. and he says, quite a long one, he says, uh, being that you both photograph weddings, I wanted to ask your thoughts on the subjects of the infamous Uncle Bob. I photographed. <laughs> I photographed several. Oh. All Uncle Bob sound like that, by the way. Do they? Uncle oh, Bob. Uncle yeah. Bob. <laughs> I photographed several weddings yeah. where a guest bought a camera, and for the most part, it's been easy to navigate. And in some cases, I've even included them, allowing them to photograph a family shot I might have set up. However, I recently had a Uncle Bob. <laughs> in this case, literally the uncle of the bride, and uh, he was so relentless, and he was in my way that I and the bride had to pull him outside uh, during the course of the wedding and remind him that he was obstructing the paid professional. It apparently fell on deaf ears as I see him in way too many of my shots from the day, standing in the aisle as the bride walks down, uh, for example. Do you guys have any Uncle Bob stories, and what have you found the best way to deal with an overly aggressive Uncle Bob. Was he aggressive then? Obviously aggressive in, in terms of where he was. Yeah, okay. I, I was looking through your website the other day and I saw um, uh, an Auntie Bob. It was uh, at that wedding that um, I was filming you, I think. You were using the... Oh, yeah. And there was somebody s stood at the back in a lot of your shots. And when, yes. I, when I first saw it, I thought... I don't recall there being another videographer there or something because I think I was the only person filming and I was filming you. Yeah. And then there was this person at the back all the time and I thought... Oh, and they seem to be in a lot of shots. I remember that very well, actually, because I remember when we were when we were at the wedding. I remember seeing her, and and what went through my mind was, oh well, Neil's going to be in all her pictures. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was, yeah. <laughs> well, if she's in front of mine, I'm in front of hers. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. yeah. Um, on, honestly, my take on it is, I, I I have had a couple of situations where you know they I've kind of raised my eyebrows a little bit at them, but never it's never been too much of an issue. And mm. to be honest with you. My, my my attitude is, look, if somebody stands in the aisle when the bride's walking down it, then that's what the picture's going to be. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm yeah. not going to lose sleep over it. You know, of course, you, you don't want that to happen. But, you know, that's that's the way it is. And I think the people that do more formal stuff and group stuff probably have more of a problem with it in terms of people shooting over their shoulders and what have you. You've got eyes pointing in different directions then, haven't you? you know? I think you can use the proclamation method here. Um, and so if you are, because many photographers are doing some more formal shots, I know I do a few myself, as you, as you know, with the groups and stuff like that. And what I tend to do, because you know it's happening, don't you, Kev? They're hovering mm. around you and you think, all right, okay, click, 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 click. And, and you can see, as you, as you rightly say, there's wandering eyes as well. So I normally make a, a loud proclamation. So, uh, and I'm a devil at doing it as well. And I don't mind it because I think it gets the job done. That I, I will say, not overly loudly, so it's ridiculous, but I, I will say, um, ladies and gents, let's... Sorry, what's your name? Uh, Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob. Uncle Bob's going to take his pictures now, so don't look at me. This is not about me this moment. This is all about Uncle Bob. Let Uncle Bob get all his pictures, then he's going to let us do ours, aren't you, Uncle Bob? Yeah? Cool. Mm -hmm. Proclamation. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah, and, that works. Yeah. And, I, I, and then I, I, he feels he can't keep doing it. I normally just, uh, on occasions when I've got people on, you know, group shots and there's people kind of shooting over my shoulder, especially with mobile phones and things like that. And, you know, if there's kids in there and it's not their kids, they're, they're all there with their phones, yeah. you know, and, uh, you know, Georgie, look at me, look at me. I just put my camera, I just put my camera down by my side and just stare at the group and, you know, and then uh, <laughs> and I just wait till they've, they've finished. Yeah. 
and then I say, right, okay, now it's my turn, and just just get on with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I, Uncle Bob is is a thing, of course it is, yeah. but I just try and make it part of the story in the in the candid element of it, and then just ignore it elsewhere. It's after a while they 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 lose their in, well, they should. It sounds like. <laughs> Sounds like you had an experience there where you didn't, but uh, usually they lose their interest after a while, don't they, Kevin? They sort of toddle off and go and stand at the bar and have another pint. Yeah, usually. And I, I remember one occasion, actually, it was a, it was a, a quite a high-end wedding, and the bride had emailed me previously and said that a friend, they weren't having any formals whatsoever, it was 100% doc, and uh, she emailed me about two days before the wedding, she said, oh, a friend of her mum's is, uh, is, wants to be a wedding photographer, and would you mind if she, uh, you know, she asked you some questions on the day and maybe took a few oh. pictures? Warning, warning. <laughs> <laughs> I said, uh, no, that's fine, that's fine. So when I got there she you know she introduced herself and everything she was good as gold and then later in the day i found I, I kind of wandered into this this part of their twenty thousand acre garden <laughs> and she was doing these group shots with all the family mm-hmm. and uh, and i said to the bride later i said now tell me is that why you invited her and she said yeah <laughs> <laughs> Oh, brilliant ah. so she did me a favor as well um but yeah she was good she was yeah. fine actually didn't cause you know she i had a nice chat with her and everything um she drove away in a lamborghini i drove away in my kia oh. and, uh, that was it i turned up at an event like that recently everybody had a had um had a bentley in the uh it seemed like everybody had a bentley it's not quite true but certainly my kia part between a what was it a bentley and um one of those huge bmw four-wheel drives top of the range mm. one Mm. I parked in there, Kev. X1. With, with <laughs> mine was all covered in mud. Hadn't been washed for four weeks. Yeah, uh, mine stinks of horse. <laughs> there we go. Right, Richard Needham. Hello, gents. Love the podcast. Two quick questions for you. Will Fuji ever enable their cameras to save the two-tenth uh, second self-timer selection? What's that? Sorry? Save the two-stroke-ten-second self-timer selection? So that it works by default when the camera's turned on. No. So what he's asking is that there's a self timer option in the cameras where you can you can choose two seconds or ten seconds, oh, and then you ten. can right, yeah. run around in front of the camera and get yeah, yeah, get yourself yeah, in the picture. Yeah. And I never, I I did, you know, I didn't know how long that was because I've never used it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I very rarely. I have used it on occasions, but oh, very very right, rarely. Okay. I didn't know. Well, yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I didn't. I assumed that it would just keep it. I, I don't know. So I can only imagine it's quite an easy thing for them to change if it is the case. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it defaults to. Perhaps it defaults to two seconds. Perhaps it defaults to ten seconds. It's not long enough, uh, is it? Two seconds for a self timer. Quick run. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Don't know. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of the reasons why they haven't done that, and and the only thing I can come up with is, if the default is two seconds, yeah. um, that's that's easier to wait and and you know kind of change. Whereas if the default's ten seconds and you're trying to get a you know an important shot or something, and and it's you've pressed it and it's ten seconds and you didn't want it to be ten seconds, you've got to wait ten seconds yeah. before you can change it again. So maybe there's that logic in there somewhere. We shall consider. I've seen a lot, a lot. Yeah, we shall consider. Well, I've seen a lot more people doing self-portrait uh, projects of late um Cara Mew who was on a few weeks ago on this podcast and then appeared on Photography Daily as well recently to sort of uh, talk about some more of the subjects that we 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 tackled first time around and um and she she's amazing when she does hers and yeah I've seen loads of it as well even big Bert Stefani's in on the game is Bert Stefani doing it yeah it's in all of her Facebook just his face oh 
So I've deleted Facebook now. <laughs> Poor Bert. <laughs> you, uh, ever interested you, Kev? Good God. No, frighten myself when I look in the mirror. <laughs> i tell That's you what I do miss. I miss those running shots of you on the running machine. Yeah. <laughs> oh. well, how is your, oh, how's your back? And oh, We shouldn't laugh because your back and your hip are not too good at the moment, are they? Oh, I'm, I'm just an old man. I'm giving up. I'm just, I told Gemma the other day I'm just going to – that's it. I mean, I'm going to fall into old, old manhood. Yeah. I'm going to get fat and ugly and just you can have to live with it. What did she say? She said, I'd love you forever. Doesn't matter what you look like. I said, that's good, but don't you have the same attitude? <laughs> oh, Kev, that's the word both way round. But uh, Gemma could never look at anything more than just heavenly, could she? <laughs> no comment. <laughs> and uh, Rich had a, another part of, uh, can I call you Rich? Um, Richard Needham. Uh, another question, second part. And with new sensors being discussed for XH2 XT5 et al., do you think there will be an increase in uh, aspect ratio op options? We'd love to see a 5.4, for example. Oh, that would be – that's an interesting question. Mm. Yeah, I would think uh, – I really have no idea what will happen with the next set of sensors. But if they're bigger, yeah. which physically APS-C, I believe, is at the end of its – is at the you know, maximum it can get to. Although there is that – there is this kind of Sony APS-C sensor kicking around, which I think is like 36 gigapixels or megapixels. So maybe if they can get the sensor bigger, then they can do a little bit more um, format sizing because ultimately it's just cropping off the sensor. So one of the things that I've lobbied them for for a while um, is to have uh, different overlays for um, for the crops in the camera. So not necessarily yes. formats, but instead of just the rule of thirds, have like the Fibonacci spiral, yes. things you like that. Yeah, you mentioned this. Yeah, good idea. That'd be good. Yeah. And what, yeah. what do they say? We shall consider. <laughs> <laughs> which we now know means <laughs> no yeah. Yeah, i don't know I, you know who knows right. but yeah I, I don't know i mean yeah i'd like to see five four as well that'd be great mm. okay right yours uh okay i've got a question from uh, albert palmer mm. who uh albert uh, he's you know, albert's a wonderful wedding yeah, photographer very good. Yeah. um he says, I'd like to buy a Fujifilm camera for family photos. Ideally, it needs to be small, under one grand if possible, but above all, be able to track little people running around. Uh, I'm open to it having a fixed lens, uh, but it could be interchangeable. What would you recommend? Well, straight, straight away, you're going to go for uh, a 100. Can you get a 100F? Can you get that under under 1K now? Is it possible? On, I'm just going to look on MPB, see if... See if there's any. Maybe I, 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 to be honest with you, the the key thing about that question was the the tracking little people running around. Yeah. Um. And the X100 is it's it's good, but the the X100V is the one with the new fast lens and sensor. But even that, because of the fixed lens, is not quite as quick as the interchangeables, mm. even though it's the same sensor. I'd probably look at the XE4. Would you? So okay. XE4 is the latest sensor, so it's got all of the the focus gubbins. You know, it's it's it basically is as quick as you're going to get in mm. terms of Fujifilm stuff. Uh, I think XE4 is around about nine hundred and fifty pounds, mm. something like that. Um, retail might be a little bit cheaper now because it's been out for a while. Of course, you're going to need a lens as well. So, in which case, to keep it cheap and keep it absolutely fast, I would go for um, 23mm f2, maybe the mm, 35f2. So you're looking, you're looking overall about 1100, 1200 pounds for the package. Yeah, um, well, yeah, that's what yeah. I would do. XE4. I've just found a 100V. You can now buy if you've a few pennies over a thousand pounds, but you can get a um, what a new one? A 100V? No, a used, but oh. um, a, a one? No, not a new one. That would be nice. People um, who give back their people who give away their X100Vs send them back. 
Yeah. Awful well, if you get an, an absolute like new here, uh, one thousand one hundred and fifty quid. It's pretty good. It's not bad, is it? Yeah. Um, anyway, it's worth it's it's worth every single penny. The X one hundred V. Yeah. Love it to bits. Right. Your uh, did uh, was that your question? It was. That was mine. Sorry, yeah. it was. Uh, <laughs> Matt Seldt. This could have been planned actually, Kev, because the actual sentence, uh, the actual title, um, is another bloody X one hundred V question. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, cha- oh, hello, chaps, says uh, Matt Searles. Loving the show, yada, yada. Given the questions on the podcast this week, I felt I had to jump in with another X100 Via. I've uh, currently got a much underused XH1 in the bag. No small thanks to the GFX50R beside it. But I'm thinking of the V as an alternative for a bit of video work and using the inbuilt teleconverter, now with raw uh, compatibility, yay, he says. Who says Yay as a potential replacement for the X-H1. How do the two compare for stills and video, and does the new lens on the V make a big difference? Will the 100V give me all the features of my X-H1 for day-to-day stills and video, or will I have to make compromises compared to the X-H1? Well, the first compromise is going to be the stabilisation for video. Um, that's an obvious one, isn't it? And, and, of course, not having the ability to do interchangeable lenses... It's not really eggs for eggs in that respect, is it? No. Um, and, yeah, I would say uh, yeah, the X-H1, even though the X-100V uh, has, has got a, a better sensor than the X-H1, the X-H1 is, is, is the one to reach to for, um, for filming. Mm. So you, you've got all kinds of... Um, yeah, you've got, you've got the, uh, the uh, in-body in stabilisation... Um, so 4K recording on the X100 is limited to 10 minutes, for example. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so there's the timing issue. You've got your stabilization. And, uh, I mean, you've got the the newer film simulations, which are lovely in the X100V. I don't think in the X100V you're going to be able to use easily anyway external monitors uh external recording devices should you you know should you be at that stage so yeah i would say xh1 is still the is is still well is better than the x100v for filming the the nd filter of course is really good for uh, when you've got that camera out in stills mode but i don't believe i haven't got the x100v so i don't know kev i'm guessing a bit here i don't think you can use the the um nd filter in, in video can you you can though yeah oh, they just uh, they did oh. a, they did a firmware update about okay. three months ago that added that yeah ah well there we go yeah. well that now there is a good reason there, there's something that that packs uh that the xh1 won't and that is you that's very useful for when yep. you when you're filming open wide in bright places, so yep. actually that's that's a mammoth thing. And it's one a five stop NT filter now, whereas yeah. the old X100s were three stops. So yeah, I mean that is that is that's one of the pros. Big pro. But I'd still be if I was doing any kind of serious filmmaking and I only had an X H1 and an X100V, it would be the XH1 I would I would turn to. A couple of years ago, when we were allowed to travel before the war. When we went to Croatia for our holiday, um, you don't get this problem, Kev, because uh, when you go on holiday, the pool is all yours because you stay, you, you stay at a private ranch. But for for us, what travel with um, with uh, larger tourist companies, um, tour operators, we uh, we went. Uh, it was a wonderful place, though. We we, we one of these all inclusives. The boys love the all inclusives. Went to, went to a, an, an all inclusive, and. Um, one of the problems that that has is that it doesn't it does it's it's all nationalities by the way it's no longer now one nationality before we start going down that dangerous road 
those that put their towels out on the uh, on the seats in the morning that mm. drives me nuts um, <laughs> and you have to get up really early and you have to go you take your laptop and you you sit on a and, and everybody knows you're doing it you sit on a sun lounge and pretend you're working I need to catch up on my emails yeah I, and obviously i do need four sun loungers to do that but i, I took the x100f down before all those people got i woke up really early one morning i put it on one of those little joe is it joby what's the what's the one with the uh, anyway yeah joby yeah yeah and i i hid it quite well i was I, I must admit i was a bit concerned looking down from my balcony thinking somebody was going to walk off with it but nobody saw it and as the sun came up i said it manually as the sun came up and everybody was coming out to uh, grab their um grab their sun lounges i got this great sort of building <laughs> building time-lapse film of all these people grabbing their sun lounges which you'll never be able to put on youtube which because never of be the to... privacy police yeah that's a good point kev yeah so pointless what a waste of your time yeah it was a great might shot as well as just well. stayed sure. in bed might as well not done. not did anything creative or artistic and yeah. just let the privacy police win <laughs> i think we should uh, hear from our our next uh, friend of the show this is alex frederickson you you sort of un- uncover a secret of alex's during this piece don't you yeah she's wonderful i spoke to her a few times before we did the interview uh for various other things and yeah. uh, she's got a really interesting really interesting backstory and everything else yeah well this is alex frederickson now uh, the people who are in the facebook group will know very much your your work because it's uh you share you share a lot of it and uh and it, it's amazing a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff coming out of uh, out of your little austrian village <laughs> so tell us a little bit about where you are and why you're there um and, and what you're what you're shooting <laughs> well i am i'm originally from the uk as you know um I moved to Austria 15 years ago and I live in a small ski resort about two hours away from Salzburg. What I shoot, basically anything that's got something to do with people. People have always been my first love ever since I was a small child, Um, particularly people who are, shall we say, on the fringes of society in one way or another and for whatever reason. Um, I trained as a psychiatric nurse when I was 18 and I did that for seven years and everything I've ever done since then has been focused on and based around my love of human beings really. I had um, a friend who lent me I think it was a Canon 600D if that sounds reasonable um, because I needed to take photos of the situations that I was writing about. So it was very much at that point words with just one image that accompanied the text. And I had this camera here um, and I just thought, oh, let me just go out and see if I can make myself feel better by taking some pictures. So I went into a forest nearby and I was there for about three hours and it was incredible. Every single click of the shutter brought my anxiety level down just a little bit. And I just never looked back. I like to think that my stories have words and images in more or less equal proportions or a lot more equal than it was anyway. So tell me about the intentional camera movement stuff that you do. And specifically, is is that born of the fact that in Austria, there's restrictions over what you can photograph or what you can show? Kind of, yeah. I mean, when I first started um, taking photos, I think I started where probably most people start with landscape. You shoot what's around you. And after that, 
I started to feel, okay, where I live is absolutely beautiful, but I need to somehow get back to shooting or taking photos of people. Now, here where I am is street photography is not allowed. And most people here are very aware of that. And it's very difficult to, to shoot on the street without, depending on obviously what you want to do with the photos, but I like to share what I shoot. So there doesn't really seem to be any point to me to actually just shooting and just keeping this images to myself forever and ever. So I decided I needed a way to actually be able to shoot what I wanted to shoot, exactly what I wanted to shoot, but without having any of the added hassle of identifiable people. Now, just to go back a little bit, when I first, um, after I got over the over my sort of landscape initial phase, I watched a video by a wonderful landscape photographer who was actually, he introduced me to ICM. So I spent maybe the first few months shooting landscape ICM. And then I thought, oh, I wonder if this is transferable to people. Long story short, it is, but not in the same way. So I kind of developed over the next year or so, I developed very much my own style, which is based around jiggles and squiggles and all kinds of different movements. And um, also a form of panning where the subject is absolutely not clear. I don't like, for me, I don't like um, the sharpness that some people love when they when they take a panning shot that everybody everything has to be absolutely sharp no for me it has to be it has to look like it's like it's an artistic picture it has to look like i did this intentionally because i did but that brings us also back to then disguising the identity of the of the person so what i do is i sit on the street for sometimes hours and just watch people go by and observe the what what people are doing how they're looking what they may be feeling and I try to actually capture that in the image so yes it's partly to do with anonymity and it's partly to do with it just makes me feel good to shoot this way the the results are, are very artistic and actually a couple of weeks ago on the podcast we talked about this idea of fine art and we established that the, uh, the the true definition of fine art is when somebody you know starts taking pictures with the intention of making an art piece rather than it becoming an art piece as the result of something else. And and I think these are these are pretty much bang on for that. Um, they, they were, some of the modern stuff was well, not modern, but some of the latest stuff you've done um, on your website, Alex Fredrickson dot art. Some of the like there's one entitled Complete. And there's one titled enough. Reminds me a little bit of um, of the painter L.S. Lowry. Um, you know, so he his stuff is uh, has that kind of little bit of movement in it, and you know, it's very 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 fine art. I mean, I, I read a discussion this week in the in the Facebook group about about this word fine art, and I, I don't know. I I actually I'd never considered what I do to be fine art. Labels are one of my pet hates. Um, and I just think we create what we what moves us and we react to what other people are creating either positively or negatively and whatever they want to call it, whatever we want to call it. One of the one of the reasons we're speaking today is to talk about your uh, your latest book, which is uh, well, it's really interesting. It's it's another it's another take on uh, the uh, anonymous nature of people, I suppose. 
and it's just about to be published, I believe. So tell us, tell us more about it. Tell us about the story behind the, the Okay, new book. the book is called Feet Under the Seat, stories from life told by feet on a train. If you go back to the, to the fact that I'm not allowed to shoot faces, I had this idea first by shooting feet on the street. And I did that sort of, I think that was quite a lot of time during summer 2019 before we ever knew what was going to happen in 2020. And I think I'd just come from a shoot and I was sitting on the train going home and I just sort of noticed, started looking at all these feet around me and thought, ooh, <laughs> this is great. But I never really took it anywhere after that. And then winter came and brought Corona with it. And during then the, um, the winter of 2000, so the winter that's just gone, I sold my car during last year, so I was, I was traveling by train continuously, so always. And I started to, the unusual thing or the absolutely unique thing about this particular winter cave is you can imagine that I live in a ski resort. There were no tourists allowed during this last winter, which meant that every single person on that train was somebody who lived here. And this is a time that will probably never be repeated in my lifetime. So I started to actually, when normally when people sit on a train, you either playing with your phone, staring out the window, or mixture of the two, our little train is um, laid out in such a way that there are quite, there's quite a lot of room in between the seats. So you can really see what's going on. And I found that most times there was um, an opportunity to take a photograph under the seat. Um, there was also something happening. So this is not just a collection of feet, it's also stories. So I made it into something where I was actually only shooting the feet of people that had a story connected. One thing that I really, really saw very early in this in this period was we were we were in lockdown the same as most of the world was over this over January, February, March. And there were a lot of young people there, so teenagers. And whereas we might have craved social contact, I think teenagers, young people need it as part of their, as part of their social development. And what they were actually doing, they were, they were using the train as a place to meet. So I actually witnessed lots and lots of different um, mm -hmm. meetings between these young people. And that covered everything from things that were really, really poignant, things that were funny, Think I, I witnessed bullying from both sides, from the uh, point of view of the bully and the person who was bullied, and the sadness of these of these kids because they had no idea what their future looked like after the school being closed for so long and being being on distance learning. They're not they're not being allowed to see their friends and they didn't know what was going to happen with their exams and their schooling. It was just a, it was just horrible, and I've always been a person who has absolutely loved old people. Um, I'm a little bit of a, an old person magnet and I've never really had any kind of connection to young people, but this changed everything for me. And a lot of the stories in the book are based around um, the young. Now, I know the book is as much about photographs as it is about the stories that go with them. Uh, whilst we can't show the picture on the podcast, can you perhaps read out one of the stories for us so we can get an idea? After almost seven weeks of lockdown, restrictions were eased here on Monday. Schools reopen after the half-term holiday and all students wishing to attend face-to-face -face lessons 
are required to be tested every seven days, as well as needing to wear an FFP2 mask on school premises. This is quite a burden to place on young shoulders, and it's one I guess some students will bear so they can see their friends again, whilst others will sigh and buckle just a little more under the weight. This young man is already on the train when I get on, and for the first 10 minutes of our shared journey, I see only his feet on my camera screen. As the train pulls slowly into the next station, he stands up, opens the window, and looks up and down the empty platform. I'm surprised by his size. He's so much smaller and younger than the impression I've formed from his feet. He sits back down with a sigh, and as our eyes meet through the gap in the seats, I ask if he's okay. He shrugs, the universal sign for, no, not really. So I get up and move to the seat across the aisle from him. Spotting the heavy school bag beside him, I ask if it isn't half term this week. Yes, he says, but I have to have extra tuition in maths, so I've been to see my tutor. I ask how it went and he rolls his eyes. We chat a little about school and this and that and I give him my card, telling him I'm hopeless at maths but I teach English, so if he ever needs any help, just to text me. Cool, he says with a shy smile. I'll ask my mum if I can learn with you. The next stop is his, and he hoists his heavy bag onto his back and gives me a wave as he steps down off the train and out of sight. I hope he calls. I can't lighten his load, but maybe I can help him carry it. No, that's really cool, actually, and I know that I'm really looking forward to seeing the pictures with the stories in the book. Do you actually, do you, do you get up in the morning and think, okay, today I'm going to go off and and specifically shoot for this uh, for this project, this book, um, you know, in the last few months, or is it? Yes, yes, uh, yeah, yeah. I was, I was, I was taking two train journeys a day, every day. There was, there were a lot of days where I thought it was going to be a complete washout, and then at the last minute, somebody really interesting got on. So I don't think there was one single journey where I got nothing. Some days, I mean, if you think about it, the train, the train pulls into the station. And there are two carriages to choose from. And you know that you can't change carriages in between, uh, a lot, you know, during the journey. So you get in a carriage and you've got no idea who's in that carriage, who's going to get in that carriage during the, during the course of the journey. So you don't, uh, you, you never actually know if, is the best story of this day in the next carriage. It was all a little bit kind of random and chance. Uh, sometimes, uh, sometimes I chose um, what I called the night train, which was the last train, which was something like half past seven. It was already dark. And these were people who were coming, the last people coming from work. So I tried to plan days where I knew there was a good chance that I would get something. You, you have all of these pictures now in your, in your archive. How did you go about um, getting the book published? What, what, was the, what was the steps involved in, in actually going from idea to the physical book? It wasn't actually, I didn't actually set out for this to be a book. That wasn't my original intention. This has got a slight edge to it that it's mostly about the story and the pictures accompany the story. Um, it could stand alone without the pictures, not the other way around. Um, but then people started to say to me, you need to actually bring these into a collection. This is a unique time in our, in our history and also a unique time for you because you've got only locals there. So this needs to be a book. So um, as time went on, I kind of thought, yeah, they're right. And um, I'm getting to the point now where I've got a lot of stories and a lot of pictures. Okay, let's do this. Let's make it into a book. I just, I, I just um, ordered Sean Tucker's uh, 2020 collection. 
and I really liked the untreated paper um, that he used and the square format of the book. So I watched his video um, about how he made the book and then contacted the printer that he used. And I decided that um, my book was going to be exactly the same square format with exactly the same paper. It just seemed to be a lot more natural, a lot more neutral. I didn't want this to be something shiny. It didn't seem to be a shiny, glossy um, subject in in this particular year. And so it, it, it seemed to fit perfectly for me. The book is only black and white for a couple of reasons. The first is I just love black and white. And secondly, is that it adds another level to the anonymity of the person. If you can't tell who they are because of the color of their shoes or their trousers or whatever, it just adds another level of anonymity. Um, and it makes people actually look at the at the at the story and the photograph instead of looking at the at the colours, etc. So all those wonderful reasons why we shoot black and white instead of colour are very valid here. I think it's brilliant that you're you're actually taking your work and and doing something with it, you know, and it is really really beautiful. So uh, you know, well done, and I you know I'm looking forward to seeing the the finished product, the book. Um, Final question: What would you whisper into the ears of an 18 year old Alex? Well, one of my one of my one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't pick up a camera until I was 50 years old. I think one of the things that I would whisper into 18-year-old Alex's ear is pick up a camera, you know. And the other thing would be to do things for me without feeling the, the pressure of everyone around me to do things because it was the right thing to do, because it made a lot of money, because it's what everybody else was doing. And to go my own way and to have the confidence to just say, no, this is, this is what I'm doing now. Wonderful advice. And thank you to Alex Frederickson, who was talking to Kev. If you'd like to order her book, uh, we'll leave all the links on the show page today. Alex's site is alexfrederickson.art and uh, Rickson has the CK, C-K-S-O-N and she's just about to place the order with the printer as I say these words to you. So, if you're thinking, hmm, that sounds like a project I would like to support and see, now is the best time to make that order. He says, nudge, nudge. And I know you know this, but there might be a few folks who are saying, what's this ICM you've been talking about? Intentional Camera Movement which is a, a genre of its own, really. And I'm sure Alex will be pleased to chat with you about her work in this field too. So, this week on my other show, Photography Daily, I've invited a guest back who's become a reasonably regular contributor, really. Um, the YouTuber and philosophical thinker when it comes to photography and filmmaking, Sean Tucker. He'll be talking about his new book, The Meaning in the Making. It's a read which contains personal stories interwoven with philosophical and spiritual practices that inspire and motivate him to remain a maker of things. It's all about why we make, what we're thinking. And as Sean suggests, the book isn't really just for photographers or filmmakers, but for musicians, painters, writers, anybody who makes anything. We talk about the process of making this book and also his very personal journey of 2020 21 whilst completing it. I've got a chapter just called Feel, which talks about sort of uh, the emotional side of, of how we make. And I'm, I'm a more 
rational-brained human being, admittedly, but I know it has to be the balance between our rational mind and our and our emotional state that we make from if we want to make good things. And if we're weak on one side, we need to work on the other. That's this coming Wednesday over on Photography Daily. Sean Tucker. For our patrons, there's always, every week, the more edition that comes out. Uh, this Thursday, I'm talking about being of service to those you photograph and feeling useful once again. And the, the book club, um, we have some words and pictures of inspiration from Tom Stoddart as we look at his book and talk about it, uh, Extraordinary Women. Then Friday, it's the Photo Walk Show, which has turned into a kind of meditative walk with uh, words of inspiration from those interviewed on the show in the past and letters from listeners all about what they see, wherever they are in the world and what they're doing and project ideas and, and, and. Photography Daily is available via photographydaily.show or wherever you get your podcasts, including Spotify. Um, next week, Kev, you have... Uh, oh, you've got a, a... It's not a friend of the show next week. It's... Um, Spencer Wynn. Spencer Wynn, that's right. Yes, Spencer Wynn is absolutely phenomenal photographer mm. from canada mm. yeah, i've been looking forward to speaking to him for a while good um well he's going to be your guest next week when kevin's solo with with breezy or i might get the pink flash Monty. on <laughs> the pink flash oh yeah but by, by the way during during alex's chat with us a moment ago uh kev said i've just got to pop out for a second you've got people bringing you coffee bless him you stood there <laughs> waving at the window with a coffee in his hand it's like oh sorry mate i've got i'm on the podcast come back in 20 minutes <laughs> oh, is he gonna come back yeah i think so hopefully he'll, yeah because i can share my coffee then will you share your coffee just, just, well, not share it, but, you know, have a chat over a coffee. The yeah. sun is shining beautifully in Malmesbury. It's been, it's been November for five months. So. Could it be summer, Kev? Or, or by the time this goes out on Monday, we'll probably get snow and hail again. Probably. Yeah. i still got my heating on in the studio. We had the fire on last night. We put the, the, the logs oh. on, the, on the burner. Blimey. <laughs> it's June in a week. I know. Unbelievable, isn't it? We went ridiculous. Um, last week, uh, was it this time last week or the week before? Oh, I lose count. Um, we went to a theme park because it was an inset day for uh, for Jack's school. And bless him, he'd, he'd missed both of his birthdays due to lockdowns. The first one, obviously, March 2020. We went in about three days before his birthday. Was it three days-ish? And and yeah. then um, he missed this year's as well because we were still in, in lockdown. So he'd missed two birthdays and certainly the teenage one. And so on the inset day, we, we went off to uh, Paulton's Park, but it hailed while we were there. Oh, going round on a ride while it is hailing in your face is painful. Yeah, <laughs> I was going round yeah. on that pterodactyl hanging thing or whatever it's called, and then the rain coming at you the other end. You thought, "Blimey, this is like being on a water ride, but only with needles being thrown at you." <laughs> yeah. oh, it really was painful. Right, um, back to your questions. Okay, your I've got one from Howard Belief. Right. That's a nice name, isn't it? Belief. B-E-L-E-I-F-F. Probably not how you pronounce it, but there you go. Anyway, interesting question. Birth shooting for street photography can be a touchy subject. Some of my street work is still made with my trusty old X-T1 on AFC and burst mode with about three to five frames per subject. The camera is usually low and the flip screen out. I know some might askew the burst, claiming it's not really true to form, but I find far more missed opportunities when I move the dial back to a single shot. What do you guys think about burst for the street? Am I somehow cheating? I don't always make street photographs this way, but it seems to make a difference with his camera in this environment um he's across the big lake here in philadelphia oh he's given us his instagram instagram is uh taoist punk twist Ta yeah <laughs> Ta taoist punk t-a-o-i-s-t 
<laughs> I bet you wish you'd not started that now. <laughs> I, you could get in trouble for that one. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, do you know what? This is one of those moments where you say, whatever works for you, isn't it, really? Because there, yeah, there are no rules and there shouldn't be rules. If that, if that is a system you've found that works, use it. And if it's getting great results, use it more. Yeah, and, and don't let anybody say that that's, that's not how street sh- photography should be done. No. Pick up Magnum's contact sheets and you'll understand that some of the greatest street photographers in the past would use a whole roll of film to get one shot. Yeah. Even Bresson's decisive moment was, was a mistranslation. It didn't mean the decisive moment. He would shoot, uh, you know, the, 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 the boy jumping over the puddle, for example. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole roll. So, yeah. yeah, just do what do what you need to do to get your picture, as long as it doesn't offend the uh, the people you're taking pictures of. And that, that uh, contact um, sheets uh, book, we, have we done that before? No. We I should do. Have you got I it? I did have it. I don't know. I haven't seen it for a long no. time, though. I don't know. Albie uses my books to make dens. What? Yeah. He's, he, he found this YouTube video, How to Make Amazing Dens in the Living Room. Right. <laughs> and it involves basically all my books and it involves all of the anything oh. vertical in the house like lamps and Brilliant. Rose's room gets decimated. He steals everything from there. Oh, but she's not having blankets, about that. all yeah. sorts. Uh, and it, it, it does. He, he, it's like a, he's built a Bedouin village in a living room sometimes. <laughs> And he builds it. Then he, he, he sits in it for four minutes and he gets bored and goes back upstairs to his computer and leaves it. He leaves <laughs> it there. The oh, the fantastic. <laughs> but I bet you if you move any of that when he comes down, he says, what, what, what have you done with it? Yeah, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. oh, no, no, it was, it's always Breezy. Oh, is it? Yeah, Breezy jumped on it. Sorry, Alps. Yeah, Breezy <laughs> took it down and put it all in that cupboard over there. That's right. Can you believe that? What a, <laughs> what a clever dog. <laughs> so if it works for you, do it. And uh, yeah. there, there, are, there are no rules. You make your own rules. Talking of which, this is the second question that has dovetailed very nicely, although I am acutely aware that we kind of covered this, well, more than kind of covered this off in terms of how we personally feel about it toward the uh, the front end of the show. But Will Colin wrote in, Dear Neil and Kev, uh, listening to your piece on the Doogie Wallace book made me wonder about the rules or laws about publishing photos taken to strangers without their permission. I realise it's a minefield every single time we talk about this, Kev, but sorry if, you are, if you've answered this one in previous podcasts. We've certainly talked about it. I don't imagine Doogie Wallace got written permission to photograph the guy cling film to a lamppost, for example. In fact, you mentioned that very shot, didn't you, Kev? I did. Or many of his other images of people in unflattering circumstances. Yet he's put them on his website, and they're in his book. Well, yeah, because they were in a public place, so it's it's fine to do it Mm. in this country. A year or so, so back, somebody contacted me about one of my public photos on Flickr. The photo was of a woman performing a Maori dance which I'd taken at a National Trust home which had been on Flickr for almost 10 years. Somehow, the woman dancer had come across my photo and she messaged me by commenting on the photo as follows. I've just come across this photograph, which is of me. And notice you also have a copyright label on it. I would appreciate it if you would remove it from your page. You do not have permission to share. Naturally, as I don't want to offend anyone, I just uh, set the photo to private. Problem solved. But what are the rights and wrongs of candid shots of people in in the wild? Doogie Wallace's career seems to rely upon it being open season. But is it? Thanks and keep up the good work from Will Collin. Yeah, well, so the thing here is it's on National Trust property. National Trust actually are one of the most specific about rights 
Um, and yeah, I think ultimately you probably don't have permission to share that picture if it's on National Trust property. Uh, however, that's probably not the woman who, who emailed you probably didn't know that. So from her perspective, if she was doing her merry dance on Oxford Street, then you would have been within your rights to just say, mm, sorry, I'm, I'm keeping it up there. Um, it, that's never happened to me. But if somebody did do that to me, I would just reply and say, oh, look, I, th I think it's a lovely picture. Let me, I'll send you a print if you want. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's not doing you any harm. Um, you know, she may come back and say, look, I'm, I work for the special forces or something. I don't know. In which case then you have a, a conversation about it. But, but yeah, so national trust land technically, yeah, you, you probably, probably, sh you know, do have a, a little bit of a dilemma there. But your, your legal contract there, if, if, if you like, is with the national trust. It's not with her. True. Yeah, true, 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 true. However, you know, you, you know National Trust are, are, are pretty renowned for being pretty brutal about this stuff. Yeah, I think English heritage same, can be, yeah, can be same. very yeah. tricky. There's a castle close to us called uh, Donington, uh, Donington Castle, and um, it uh, there's a few Donington. I went to see Guns N' Roses there. No, no, this is a, <laughs> no, it's not that Donington. There, yeah. There's a different Donington. I, I wondered if you were going to say that. No, Guns N' Roses have certainly never performed at this particular <laughs> one. Um, but it is owned by English Heritage, and there used to be a, um, a gatekeeper, um, it seemed. There was somebody who looked very officious and sounded very officious anyway. He would come running down the path saying, you can't take pictures here! Um, if, if your camera looked anything like you might be doing something of a slightly more professional nature. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, he, he was... Yeah, he was throwing clipboards at you and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, he also says, P.S., I saw on Wikipedia that Doogie Wallace is now known as Glaswegi. Very apt. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Because yeah. there's, there's an American street photographer called Ouija, Ouija as well. So yeah. I think it's a play on that. Yeah. Right. Book. Book of the week time. Book of the week. What have we got? <laughs> oh, it's you. Oh, blimey. Is that your leg? It's a big one. Right. Not my leg. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, this is Belgium. It's just called Belgium right. by Stefan van Vlieteren. Okay. I reckon I'm good at Belgian. Van Vlieteren. Yes, you're, spe yeah. you're speaking fluent. <laughs> Can you speak Belgian? It's Flemish, isn't it? Yeah, I think they speak mostly French, though, don't they? But yeah, Flemish. Okay. So, so this book actually was uh, was a gift, and this is what this is the one that turned up during the recording the other week, and, ah, the, and Harry the postman oh, was nice. like, "There's a parcel for you up the street on the side." Fabulous. And uh, and, and it ended up in the butchers, who who then uh, gave it to me. So <laughs> it's one of the so this book, right? I spoke. Uh, it, it was Emily who sent it to me, and um, Emily Rachnier. Yes, of course, because yes. she is uh, Belgiumish. Yes. And no, she is Belgian. She is Belgian, yeah. yeah, yeah. And <laughs> she said, have you ever seen this book? And I said, uh, no. And she said, you must see it. It's wonderful. Yeah. And so I, I added it on my little, I've got a little to-doist list of books I'd like to get. So yeah. I put it on there and didn't think any more of it because I knew ultimately that, you know, I'm, prob I'm not just not buying books at the minute. Anyway, so bless her, it turned up. And she said to me before, uh, when we were chatting about it, she said, it's one of those books that is just beautiful. Mm. Um, now all of the text is in French, so um, the French isn't my my best language. Je m'appelle Kevin. <laughs> Elle s'appelle Neil. Je voudrais deux bières, oh, s'il vous plaît. God. That's it. Right. <laughs> um, there we go. That's the, that's the <laughs> that is the extent of your yeah. That's the extent of my French. Um, I think I might have actually just called you a woman by that. Did I say she? Her name is Neil. Yeah, anyway. you did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I picked this book up. I unwrapped it. One of those books that smells beautiful, and I opened it. and And it's one of these books that has this this. It's a double edged sword, right? Okay, these types of books. 
it makes me look and think, oh my God, these pictures are absolutely wonderful. And it also makes me look and think, oh my God, why am I not taking pictures? Why, you know, these people are doing things, portraits and just landscapes and people. Mm. It's all black and white. It's just absolutely adorable. And, you know, you kind of look at it and you, 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 you look at the pictures and you think, I, I, I need to be doing this. I need to be getting out and shooting and doing more. Um, of course, you know, I just never do because I'm me, but it is absolutely wonderful. Um, I can't tell you about the text because it, it is in French, but it's, um, uh, I would say it's uh, a mixture of kind of environmental work. Um, so there's a lot of kind of factories and there's a lovely picture here of a, uh, of a factory with a, a graveyard in the foreground, which, you know, is kind of parody there, paradox going on. Um, on the same page, there's a uh, little old lady in the back of a tractor being dragged along. But, but really, for me... What? A little old lady in the back of a tractor being dragged along? Yeah. What? Yeah. What's going on there, right? Um, but for me, it's the portraits. Yeah. Honestly, these portraits are phenomenal. And they're, they're generally environmental portraits, so these yeah. people are in either in their homes or in their workplaces, whatever. There's a few in coffee shops and things, aren't there? Coffee shops, yeah. yeah. I mean, we've got some really Marvelous. gritty old men. Uh, they're not kind of over-processed. You know, you see that a lot of the times these days, and, and, and this isn't particularly, like, like re recent work, I would say. But there's, de there's deep, but, it's deep contrast. I mean, the blacks are black. It's not a salad of grey. Correct, but it's not, um, uh, you know, it's not, you know, the clarity hasn't been dragged up within an no, inch of its life, no, for example. No, no, no. You know, some of these images are uh, what, you know, what you would call soft, but that uh, this is what's adding the character to them. Yes. Honestly, it's, I love the way that the book is designed as well. So you've got, uh, you know, you've got full page spreads, you've got, there's a couple of images that I've come across where it goes across the spine, which I, I don't particularly I know. like, but, know. you know, it, it is what it is. Um, but generally, the, the images work really well together in terms of the flow of the book. And y y you get this real sense of, of just being there. Yeah. Uh, really do get a sense of being there. There's, you know, there's, all, there's, there's, there's a whole series here on this, um, this farmer. And he's, uh, he's an old, an old guy. Uh, you know, he's a milk farmer. He's got cows. So there's this beautiful picture of him in the cow shed. And he's yeah. got a cigarette. It's a semi-silhouette of the... Um, of the farmer you can see the cows in the background and you know he's smoking a cigarette and then the next picture is of him in his house which of course because he you know it's one of those things is his house is just full of junk and material and stuff that he's collected over the years uh, he's obviously got a, a pretty bad back um, he's like bent in two practically but you know he must be what I don't know in his 80s 90s maybe but he's still working and then there's this picture of him stood looking at a burning, uh, he's, he's burning some hay by the looks of it. And there's this, um, I can't really tell whether it's raining or whether it's a bead of sweat, but yeah. it's dropping right off the end of his nose, um, which doesn't sound very appealing, but it makes for a wonderful story in the picture. And then on page 157, you've got this real close-up picture of this guy, and he's just sat there holding onto a rail. He looks beaten within an inch of his life. Um, you know, it really is a wonderful, wonderful book. Um you know, it's one of those ones, like I said, it comes along. I'd never even heard of it, never heard of the photographer. Emily said, you really need to see this. And uh, and she was not wrong. This is a, a really, really inspiring piece of work. He's a fantastic uh, observationist, isn't he? I was looking at some of his, his other work, Elvis and Presley. And 
and there's a book that he made called Atlantic Wall, which is uh, which which is all about the sea defences during the the war um, mm. uh, that have been built and that are sliding into the water. And I always find those places fascinating. But he is, isn't he? He's, it's all. It's all. I mean, most of his, most of the work I've seen of his seems to be in black and white. And you're right; it has it has contrast without it being HDR to death. It's interesting. Uh, you know, I'm looking at these pictures, and of course, you know, it's my old my old chum nostalgia. You know, I'm looking beyond the pictures. I'm looking at the pictures on the walls. I'm looking at the decorations. You know, and it's this is old school stuff. These are old times. So you know, we, you get a sense. You know, it's old telephones, for example. It's old wallpaper. Mm. Um, but I was. Did you see there was a documentary on BBC Four the other day with um, Bailey? David Bailey on, yeah. on BBC Four. No, I didn't see. It. And uh, he was being interviewed. I'm not sure if it's an old documentary or not, but he. he you know what David Bailey's like. He was, yeah. he, he practically couldn't be bothered to be there. You know, he was not making any eye contact. He was like, yes, no answers and stuff like that. <laughs> and the guy, the guy interviewing him said, uh, you know, of course, so photography is all about nostalgia, isn't it? And he said, no. He said, there's nothing you do with nostalgia. I, it's all about the present and the future. <laughs> and I was like, hmm, okay, fair enough. It was um, practically but- like having him in the room then, Kev. That was that was weird. <laughs> um but this this book is all about nostalgia it is do you know this book is also about the pictures that i'm looking at um it's it's about escaping the barrier isn't it Uh, i'm not sure that's the right phrase but you've you've just said it makes you want to go out there and make pictures a lot of these show that he's a photographer who 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 is able to to integrate and make stories and make pictures and he's got past that barrier thinking it's a cracking picture there but no i can't do that can't possibly no it's not for me he's got past that hasn't he he's he's surpassed that many times many times over yeah, well, um, you know, we'll hear next week from Spencer Wynn, who, whose uh, motto is, if you if you want to spend, if you want to tell a story of a people, you need to live with them. Yeah, oh God, yeah, that's, whoa, blimey, that's profound. Yeah, so I'm coming round your house in a <laughs> couple of hours. I'm going to live with you and Sam and the boys. Um, uh, do I don't want- eat meat. Um, <laughs> alcohol's okay, and I, I like to have my beds fresh in the morning. Is that all right? It's not a hotel, Kev. <laughs> <laughs> Although that, well, have I heard that phrase before? It's not a hotel, Neil. Oh, no, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah. So Belgium is the name of the book by uh, Stefan van Flieteren. Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. it is brilliant. Really is. Just going to put it back over here. What a lovely gift. <laughs> what, a, what a lovely gift that's now in two put two parts. Don't yeah. go. Don't go letting um, Albie make a, a den out of that one. By the sound of it, no. Keep it away. No, this is in the art. This, so this one was delivered to the studio in the end yeah. by the butcher. Well, I got to the butcher, brought it back to the studio, so it will live in here. Well, thank God the butcher didn't want to keep it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, right. Here's one from Stephen Anker. It's a kind of a bump to the front one, but it's not really a question, so I'll do another one after this. Question. Can you send a signed photo to my wife and play Captain Beaky and Hissing Sid by Keith M- uh, Mitchell for us on, on the show? So- <laughs> <laughs> that was because we found I found what on eBay a, a print of you Radio One Neil James postcard. Oh right, and I think that's yeah, where that's come right. from. It wasn't signed though, but the Simon Mayo ones on the same page were signed. Okay, yeah, I think so. All right, now now I get that one. Um, do you remember Captain Beaky and Hissing Sid? Those in America are thinking, what on earth are they talking about? Yeah, that, I do remember. Look yeah. it look it up on YouTube. That one. Um, question this one is from mark dell um we might have had a similar one before i'm usually quite good at putting these into another folder the moment we've done them so uh apologies 
if we haven't, because it sounds like something that we've done in a similar... Oh, let, let me just read it. Mark Dell. Hi, gents. Great show. Yada, yada. I've been asked to shoot a wedding, candid style, with some uh, some other shots. As you know, I had to give up weddings, sadly, due to ill health. But the couple of friends are my youngest son, and they're really struggling to find a good photographer for a budget, and that's why they've turned to me. So my question is lenses, really. I'm planning to use my X100V, beast of a camera, he says in brackets, you're right, mainly for bridal preps, and then my son's X-T3. Uh, what lenses would be best? I'm thinking of the 56-1-2. I loved uh, using this during my wedding photography. What other lens would you recommend? I've shot over 300, so technique isn't uh, isn't the issue here. Cheers, Mark. Friend of the show. You are indeed, Mark. Um, he is indeed. Yes. Um, well, the 56 is obviously straight away of you... 23 millimeters the one i would suggest because that's yeah. going to give you then your that that sort of that perfect coupling of the of of what would have traditionally been the 35 and 85 millimeter focal lengths yeah i'd say 23 probably right now although i might be tempted to wait for the 18 1.4 which has been released it's yeah. apparently all the lenses are being held in brexit land right. um so oh. technically it's available but it's unavailable because of brexit and um so um yeah i might be tempted i'm I'm really excited by the 1814 i know I, yeah, i'm yeah. gonna get that and see if that will replace my 23 because oh. it gives a little bit wider gives a little bit more storytelling um but you're gonna so need to get a bit closer sometimes as well you yeah you can get a bit closer as well but also you know you can stay where you are and still get more in the frame which is nice mm. but but without the the barreling issues that you might have with something wider like a 16 or 10 to 24 but yeah i mean right now 23 would be the would be the one I'd go for. I wonder actually whether of uh, a, a future 100 with uh, with an 18 mil, whether that would that would float your boat, Kev. Hmm. See, we shall consider. <laughs> that means no. Computers, <laughs> computer says no. Right, your question. Uh, I've got a question from uh, Joanna McIntyre. My question is in relation to XRAW Studio. I'd love to know what the chances are of bringing an app version to iPads or Android devices. I've just started doing some editing on my iPad and loving it so far. Would be great if there was a way to work with XRAW Studio on the iPad too. Mm, that is interesting. Um, I thought about this. When I saw that question, I tried to think of the technicalities of why it couldn't be done. I couldn't really come up with any. So for those that don't know what XRAW Studio is, it's the pieces, free piece of software that um, Fujifilm released to allow you to uh, edit RAW files on your computer, your Mac or your PC, in exactly the same way as the camera would edit them. If you were selecting a JPEG recipe or shadows, highlights, con um, clarity, all of that kind of stuff, which you can't quite replicate exactly in, in, in native kind of editing software like Lightroom or Capture One. And it is, it's actually being used a lot. So what it does is it has to send the raw file from your computer, sends it back up the wire. You've got to have your camera plugged into the computer. It sends it back up the wire to the camera. Camera does the processing, and then it brings it back to the computer. So it's a little bit of a laborious route, but it is the only way to do it because you can't get the camera processing engine into the software on the computer. So... Yeah, I mean, uh, these days I think iPads and tablets and all that kind of stuff are powerful enough to do this, and you need uh, you need a particular type of um, USB-C cable. I think has to be one that has power delivered to it. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, realistically, I can't think of any reason why they couldn't do that. Whether it would be something enough people would use for them to justify doing it, I don't know. But yeah, that's a good one. Um, final one of the week now is from Andreas Noah. Um, well, this one's been hanging around a while, I think. Dear Neil, dear Kev, please don't give up the Fujicast. 
We didn't say we were. Let the dogs walk themselves. What was that about? Do you, do you remember that? Did we suggest the dogs were going to do it? We, we had to walk the... I don't know. That might have been when we were recording in the evenings and we were drunk. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> what, what were we saying? <laughs> Does uh, any of you um, own or used to own the Instax printers? I'm tempted to get one for uh, quite some time now. I've got the idea of making it a Prezi for the, for the kids. That's a good sort of roundabout way of saying that's for me. Uh, this would be a good excuse. Even if my even my wife would approve of this, and I, I hope the kids won't stop me from using their printer. Uh, do you have any experience with Instax printers? We've talked about Instax printers before, and you've you've used them at, uh, at, a, at wedding events, haven't you? Quite successfully, yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I, I've also I have actually bought them for my kids as well. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, they use them. Rosa uses it. Um, yeah, I, they're great little things. Um, the the I suppose the the main complaint, if you like, about it is that you know the 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 packs, the the film packs are reasonably expensive. I think you're looking at something like eighty pence per per print, and the quality isn't. You know, you're not getting lab quality out of these things. But the idea is that it's not meant to be. It's 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 meant to be fun. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, they're good. They're good. But the printer you're using at the moment is the is a Canon one, isn't it? And and you, I got the little Canon selfie thing, yeah. But that's not for going out and stuff. It's for it's it's a high quality, small format postcard printer. But the, yeah. the thing I quite liked about that, I remember, was uh, that uh, every time you buy the buy the refills, the paper, doesn't it come with the inks or something? It does yeah, it all comes yeah. together. Yeah, that's about twenty five quid, wasn't it? Twenty two, twenty five quid. The packs are yeah, the printers you, about hundred and fifty quid. You yeah. get quite a, a lot in there for your money or something. Yeah. See, I do listen, Kev. You do, indeed. Yeah. I do. Um, that's it for this week. Next week, Kev, it's going to be a bit weird. It's you on your Todd. Yeah, what can I? What will I get up to? Be, uh, when the cat's away, the mice may play. Is that what they say? Yeah, something like that. I'm going to be very interested to listen, listen to that. I wonder what Breezy will be like at the decks. <laughs> Breezy. Um, so, uh, yes, thank you um, to Alex Frederickson for, for being our guest this week. And thank you. If you'd like to send a question in, you are a star. Send it to click at fujicast.co.uk or indeed you can um, you can send them via the facebook group how are we doing for questions in that group kev yeah we're running out we've got a few but we we can do it more yeah. come on people yeah always need more um thank you to those supporting the show by patreon music is from blue wednesday supporting music from the incredible artlist.io and of course do not forget to go look for all the links and the stuff that we talked about in the show notes today on the show page um see you in well, you'll be here next week, Kev. So, like radio, it just keeps rolling on, rolling on. Roll. Good luck, by the way, with your country rolling, music. Rolling, rolling, Yeah, there we go. There's a country music song. Yeah, that, played that last week. Rawhide. Yes, yeah. yeah. Rawhide, one of my favourites. Right, well, good luck with that. And uh, I'll see you in a couple of weeks, Kev. Bye. The Fujicast is an independent Loading Zone production. Email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk. Email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way.